Well, thank you for that, Jennifer and Steve. Um, what a perfect introduction this morning to our message, because I'm obviously not Pastor Bryce, and I knew that today would be an important day, ordination council and all, but I didn't quite know how important it would be. So, thank you for extending this opportunity to me, and, and I think that that picture of being still is a perfect one for us this morning because as Pastor Bryce called me last night and asked if I would be here, the answer was, of course, yes. To add worry on top of what he was already dealing with, why would I say no? (laughs) But at the same time, the question was, well, then what comes next? Because in the bulletin, it says that the message is from Acts 11, and I haven't spent any time this week in Acts 11. I don't know about any of you. And uh, so just as I prayed... And as I considered and I thought, Lord, what message do you have today for the church, for your church gathered here in Tiburon? I had a couple thoughts, but what I kept coming back to was Matthew 6, 25 to 34, where Jesus talks about not worrying, where he says, do not be anxious. And we as a church and as individuals, but as a church, have had a lot. These past few months, this past season has been one of change and of hardship and difficulty and God has met us in it and God has provided for us and God has proven himself faithful again and again. But there are more opportunities for him to do so. There are more opportunities for us as a church and as individuals to trust him in that. And so today, would you join me in being still today? Would you join me in knowing that he is God and knowing that he will exalt himself among the nations and that he will be glorified this Sunday and as we go forward together. So, as Pastor Stephen mentioned, the Sundays that Lauren and I will be here are drawing to a close. And and before we get into our passage, I just wanted to again say thank you to all of us for being a family. Thank you for being a group of individuals who have loved us and who we've been pleased and honored to call brothers and sisters and to, to share what the Lord is doing in our lives with. So we're in Matthew 6 this morning because Jesus knew a thing or two about worry. Jesus knew a thing or two about living a human life. He knew a thing or two about what the teaching that he gave and what the example that he lived would result in. Because you see, Matthew six twenty-five to 34 comes after a section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is saying, this is what true religion looks like, all of you who are listening to me. This is what it really looks like to pray. This is what it really looks like to give and to be faithful, to fast. This is what it really looks to live a life in the kingdom of God. But Jesus, like any good orator knows that there will be some objections to his teachings. There will be some people who follow what he says to its logical conclusion and say, wait a second, I don't know if I like where I end up there, Jesus. What do you have to say to that? So that's what Jesus is bringing. When we live a life of faith, when we put our trust in Jesus, what next? And 
Worry is something that we all know too well. I'm sure that all of us came in here this morning with something that we could be worrying about. And maybe some of us came in and we weren't worrying, and then that was worrisome. Wait, shouldn't I be worrying about something? Have I forgotten something, or did I leave the stove? Okay. So worry is a constant companion of ours, and Jesus knows this, and Jesus cares. So would you join me this morning as we look together at Matthew 6? I'll read the passage, and then I will, I'm a firm believer that you can't pray too much, so I'll pray again for our time, and we'll go from there. So Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Join me as we pray. Father God, we come to you and we come to you with our needs. We come to you with our hurts and our problems because we can't handle them. But we trust that you can. So Lord, this morning would you speak to us through your word? Would we leave this place changed because of what you, Jesus, have said to us? Father God, would we be... um, Would we be given tangible ways to trust you, to put this into practice this week? Lord, would you use us in the lives of each other and the lives of the other people in our lives? And Lord, this morning, as we look to your word, would you open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things out of your law because we need you, Spirit. We need you to see these things. And Lord, would you satisfy us this morning with your unfailing love that we would sing for joy, and then we'd be, we would be glad all of our days. Lord, we ask this in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. So, do not worry, Jesus says. And this, as I've mentioned, comes at the end of a section where he's kind of laid out what true religion looks like. And, and summing up this passage, summing up Matthew chapter 6, basically, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived in Germany in 
Well, he wrote this in 1937 in the midst of tumultuous, terrible circumstances, a world gearing up for another war after the war that was supposed to have ended all wars and yet did not. Bonhoeffer boiled down this section to a single question, a single principle, and that question is, what are we really devoted to? We can say, when we're not in the moment, oh yeah, I I trust God. Oh yeah, this is my priority. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to sweat it. We can say that. But what the circumstances and trials reveal is who we really do trust, who we really do put our faith in. So that's the question for us this morning. Who, Who are we really, what are we really devoted to? So to, see, to preview where we're going, we're going to look at what Jesus says. We're going to look at why we have problems measuring up. This is not an easy thing that Jesus is saying to do. And we'll look at how Jesus himself is the answer to those issues that we face in putting this together. So our passage today, verse 25, begins with, therefore. And whenever you see that, you have to look back a little bit. If I walked up to somebody out in the gallery and said, therefore, we should eat some more donuts. (laughs) That person may agree with me. They may say, yes, that sounds like a great idea. But it would be strange because I just out of nowhere am tying this to something. But so you could just ignore it. But let's not, because immediately before this, like I said, Jesus has taught his disciples how to pray. He's given them the Lord's prayer. And part of that prayer has been, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And another part is, Lord, deliver us from evil. So there are needs out there. And Jesus said, this is how you fill those needs. You go to the Lord with them. So Jesus has said that. Secondly, he's talked about your heart and your treasure. And he said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and rust rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Store up instead in heaven where those things don't happen. So, this is how you pray. This is where you store your treasures, not here on earth, but in heaven. And then, in verse 24, right before our passage started, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he's saying, God is the priority in how you pray, in how you live, and in everything. But there are implications of this. You see, Jesus' audience at the time, the first century Jews who were listening to him as he taught the Sermon on the Mount, or who were listening to somebody read the letter that Matthew, the gospel that Matthew wrote, in that audience, the questions are going to be, wait a second. So let's go with this, Jesus. Let's say that I pray like this. Let's say that I store up treasures in heaven, whatever that means. And let's say that I don't serve money. Where's dinner coming from? Where is my provision going to come from? Is this going to work, Jesus? Because most of this audience that Jesus is talking to, first century Jews, they maybe had a basic shelter. That that was a, a good setup. Maybe a permanent house. Stone. Maybe they have enough food that they can last towards the, until the next harvest. If they're wise, 
if they're careful, if no one steals it or burns it or takes it from them. Or maybe they're day laborers who work all day and then use the money they just earned to buy dinner that day. So these are very basic level needs that most of those people were dealing with. And most of us in this room, I would say, don't have to deal with those same needs. We know where dinner for maybe the next week is coming from, and we know where our provision is coming from after that, or at least we think we do. So how, do, how am I going to eat is that question. Where am I going to get my clothes? But Jesus' response, you might expect some very, I don't know, exotic or intricate or mysterious teaching from Jesus. I'm just, I'm really going to surprise them. I'm going to blow them away with this answer. They'll never see it coming. Well, Jesus' answer is surprising because it's so simple. He just says, don't worry. And it's a command. It's in the imperative. Do not worry. Say, okay, Jesus, I'm listening, but why? How is it that simple? It doesn't seem that simple to me. And what Jesus does is he follows it with four examples. He says, here's the command, here are the four reasons. So number one, do not worry because life is more. Life is more than food, he says. Life in the body is more than clothes. So his first example here is that food and clothing, they're important, but they're not all that there is to life. They're not the ultimate things. Jesus is saying, you've got to reorient your priorities. And we've all, like I said, we don't face those same needs, but we have other needs. In, uh, let's see, 1942, there's a psychologist, Maslow, and he came up with a, a hierarchy. It's a pyramid of different needs that humans have. And so the first level is the most basic needs that humans have. This would be things like Jesus is talking about here. Food, shelter, clothing. If you don't have those things, they're your number one priority. You've got to find these things. Air to breathe would be in that category also. But once you figure out those needs, that doesn't mean that everything's taken care of. There are going to be more needs after that. So basic physiological needs, then safety needs, shelter, and my, and. Am I going to be provided for financially? Am I going to be provided for as far as the future is concerned? Then once you kind of have those things figured out, you have relationships that come after that. Do I have somebody who I love and who loves me? And so there, there are five or so levels. And though we in this room aren't on that first level, maybe, we're somewhere on there. And it's the basic human drive to try and climb this pyramid to try and reach the top, which for Maslow is self-actualization. All of my needs are met so I can think about what's really important. But we've seen that there are people who have everything in the world and they don't have their needs met. Jesus is saying that life is more than the needs that you experience right now. Jesus turns this pyramid on its head and he says, what's most basic? You're missing it. So first of all, life is more. Jesus' second and third arguments, they're very similar. They're separated a little bit. We're just going to talk about them at the same time. What Jesus talks about next is he looks at the birds. He looks at the birds of the field. 
Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? Jesus is saying, what kind of father has children and has a pet and feeds the pet and doesn't feed the children? That'd be a pretty bad dad. I would not be a happy son if, that's, if I came home and we sat down to dinner and my plate stayed empty and little, our little dog Aria in my parents' house got her bowl full. Jesus is saying, he's your heavenly father. There's a relationship when you're a Christian. There's a kinship. There's, you're part of something bigger. And the love of God extends further than just the natural world. Look at the birds of the air. They don't have to worry. The food is out there for them. Won't God also do this for you? And the, the argument where he says, look at the lilies of the field. They neither spin nor uh, they don't make their clothes But God arrays them even more beautifully than Solomon, the grandest of all the kings of Israel, who had the most opulent materials. He had armies of servants to make the clothes, to put them on himself, to say, maybe they wouldn't say rightly, but to give feedback. Oh, yeah, that looks great. Oh, yeah, looking looking good, Solomon. All right. He's getting the good feedback and everything. Even Solomon wasn't arrayed just like this little lily out in the field. And if God takes that much care with a lily that's here today and then just burned tomorrow, won't he similarly take care of you? Now, we have to be careful because Jesus is not saying here that you don't need to put any effort in. He's not saying that the birds of the field are, are fed without any work on their own behalf. The reformer Martin Luther famously said of this passage that God provides food for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. The birds still have to go out and find the food. This is not Jesus saying, hey, look, I've got this new app. You've heard of Uber Eats. This is Jesus Eats. You just press a button and, oh, honey, Jesus is here with the food at the door. It doesn't work exactly like that. But Jesus is saying, if God takes care of the world... Won't he also take care of his children? And lastly, argument for it that Jesus gives is worry accomplishes nothing, ultimately. Jesus' final argument here says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And this phrase, this idea, what he was referring to, we, we have it in English, our, it's called our, our life span, but span it's a distance. And I think of the children's time where Pastor Stephen had the tape measure and he walked, he was measuring different things here, but the last thing that he did was he had them hold it at one side and stretch the tape measure all the way across until click. It was fully extended. And he had a separate point, which I loved. But think of that tape measure, fully extended. Think of that as the span of your life. The span of my life. Jesus is saying, who by worrying can extend that? Oh man, I'm so worried himself. There it is. There's more tape. It's an absurd picture. You can't. And that's Jesus' point. 
Worry cannot extend the span of our life. So why be consumed by it? It doesn't do anything positive for us. So to sum up Jesus' message so far, he said, don't be anxious as you try and live this true religion, this true religion that I've given to you about how to really pray, how to really give and fast and live. Don't worry because life is more than the basic necessities. Yes, they're important, but they're not ultimate. God provides for the birds. God clothes the lilies. And finally, worry doesn't accomplish much. Having laid all of this out, Jesus concludes this section of his teaching by repeating the idea that he began with and giving his alternative. Verses 31 to 33 say, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or the people who are not Jewish, seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about the necessities. And he intentionally, I think, uses some very clear parallels to the Lord's Prayer. The way that he's taught them to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, don't pray like the Gentiles do, babbling, thinking that they'll be heard this way. But pray like this. Jesus says, don't worry like the Gentiles do. Because just like your father knew what you were going to pray for before you prayed it, he knows what you need before you need it. Jesus tells them to seek first God's kingdom. He tells them to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done. Jesus says to seek God's righteousness as well. And he tells them to pray in praise of God's name. Pray that God's name would be hallowed, that it would be holy, that it would be seen as righteous. These last few verses in chapter 6 are a summation and an application of everything that Jesus has said so far. If we really live like this, Jesus says we can trust that all these things will be added unto us. But a clarification, because all these things, what does that mean? Is Jesus saying that if I live this way, what I will earn is anything that I can think of and that I would like? If I live this way, will I get that house on that hill overlooking that lake? Will I get several Teslas, one for the weekday, one for the weekend? Will I get a private jet that I could take to fly between the houses with the Teslas that I have? No. Jesus doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and anything you could want will be added unto you. Jesus says all these things. All these things that I've been talking about. Your needs. The things that God knows that you need. These things will be added unto you. Will be taken care of. The necessities. Just enough. And Jesus ends our section in verse 34 by repeating for a third time this command, do not be anxious. Which any time in the Bible, in a short span, when there's something repeated three times, pay attention. Saying, hello, right over here. This is the point. This is what it's all about. Jesus starts, do not worry. Jesus sums up, do not worry. And the last thing he says here again is, therefore, do not worry. Don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow's going to take care of itself. Today has enough trouble. 
Corey Ten Boom, who was a Christian who helped Jews escape the Nazi regime during World War II and who knew a little bit about having things to worry about as well, said that worrying is carrying tomorrow with today's strength. It's carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Well, that's great, Josh, you say. But you don't know. You don't know what it's like right now. You don't know what it's like for it to have been six months since my last paycheck. You don't know what it's like sitting at the bedside in the ER. You don't know what it's like to not know where he is. And you're right. I don't know. So if it was me saying, don't worry, you'd be right to give me pushback. To say, it's not that simple. But I'm not the one saying not to worry. Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Son of the Most High, he's the one who's saying it, so he's the one who we have to push back. We have to say, can we trust Jesus? Does he know what he's talking about? Because if he doesn't, then forget it. Worry all you want. And as a reminder, it wasn't any easier for the original audience. It's not like, oh, this was easy then, but today, no. It was in some ways much more basic and desperate of a need for them. But it's the same need for us today. And the reason why is because then and now, we're all humans. And as human beings, we fall short of the glory of God. As human beings, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his or her own way. And the Lord has looked at us and seen that there's iniquity there that needs to be dealt with. There are problems. This world is broken. This world, there are deep problems that all we need to do is look around, open the newspaper, look at the news alerts on our phones. And not only is the world broken, but we're broken because on our own as sinful humans, we don't have access to God. We can't even do the things that Jesus is telling us to do. We can't pray. Why would God listen to us, sinful people, who in his holiness he cannot abide? We are weak and frail and exposed and broken, and as we try to go up that hierarchy of needs, we're like Sisyphus, who in Greek tragedy, in Greek myths, was sentenced in Hades to an eternity of rolling a rock, a big boulder, up a hill, to only almost get to the top and every single time have it roll right back down. We get our our first level. We have food and we have shelter, second level, and we have some relationships, but the relationships are broken. Or we, we have all of our needs provided and then the loss of a job and we go sliding back down and it's constant. It's, and we know this from our own experience. I don't have to argue that part, that there's a lot to worry about. We are left on our own Like Ephesians 2.12 says, without hope and without God in the world. And Bonhoeffer, who I quoted earlier, remarked that this message of Jesus's 
This command not to worry, but to seek God first is either, it's one of two things. It's either a crushing burden, which holds out no hope to the poor and to the wretched, which by the way, that's us. Or, or it is the quintessence of the gospel, which brings the promise of freedom and perfect joy. Jesus does not tell us what we ought to do and cannot. He tells us what God has given us and promises still to give. And what we have been given by God is his very self, his own self. God has given us his son, Jesus, because at the end of this gospel, at the end of Matthew, at the end of the story, Jesus carries a rugged, wooden, heavy cross. He carries it up a hill, the hill of Calvary, He is unjustly condemned. He is unmercifully killed. Having been nailed to the cross, he dies the death that we deserve. And that is our only option in this world. He dies that death in order that we can live the life that he lived. A life of perfect obedience to and trust in the Father. And he gives us an example. A life where when more than anyone else in the world in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his death. Jesus had more to worry about there than we do. And what Jesus says there is, I'm seeking your kingdom first, God. I'm going to value what you value, and I'm going to obey your will. I seek your kingdom and righteousness first, therefore, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus did that for us and was raised to life just three days later and now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us so that the Father hears our prayers, sending his Spirit so that we are empowered to live day in and day out, and looking down and empathizing with us and comforting us in our sufferings because he himself suffered and was tempted. So he's now able to help us when we are being tempted. Can we trust Jesus? The answer is yes. And he's given his life to prove it. Furthermore, as Romans 8.32 says, If the Father did not spare his own Son, but gave him up graciously for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, how will the Father not also graciously give us all things? It is finished. Jesus' trustworthiness has been verified. And questions of God's love and of God's power have been answered at the cross. Our passage today is an invitation. An invitation to trust Christ. And that trusting will look differently for us, depending on where we sit in this room. Perhaps you've never trusted Christ with anything before. Not a once. This passage today is an invitation to trust him for the first time. The anxieties and cares of this life of today and tomorrow and the day after that, they're too much of a weight to bear on your own. But Jesus stands with open arms and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. These things are his promises to us. And if that's you, We'll be entering a time of response as I close. Come forward. 
Make that decision. Pray that prayer. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I want to trust Jesus for the first time. But maybe you've made that decision already. Maybe you're sitting here and you've made that decision, but there's just too much to worry about. There's just, it's hard. And you don't see this reality in your day-to-day life. We've all been there, being anxious but not wanting to be, wondering, is something wrong? I look at this and I look at my life. If that's you, take whatever it is, and as I pray and as we continue in worship, give it over to Jesus. Ask Him to take that worry, to take that anxiety from you, and to be the first priority in your life. Again, like in 1 Peter 5, where Jesus says, or Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, the power of God. Humble yourselves under that mighty hand, so that at the proper time He may exalt you and cast all your cares on Him, because you know He cares for you. Confess that, and it's okay to say this, you should be saying this, I know it's hard, but confess that, Jesus, I don't, I'm not fully trusting you right now. Ask Him to help you to trust Him more. Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Lord, I trust you to help me when I don't trust you. Go to Him. It's, he wants to hear that. Help him, ask Him to help you trust Him more today than you did yesterday or this morning. And lastly, maybe there just really isn't that much for you to worry about. Frankly, you're, you're taking care of those, those needs that Maslow laid out. You, each level, you're pretty good where you're at. First of all, praise God. If that's where someone is, like genuinely, take a moment and say, thank you, Lord, that this is where I am, that there isn't something for me to worry about like that. So that's first. What a blessing to be there. But second, if you're there, let this message, let this word of Jesus be a reminder that there are people sitting around you who are not there. Who's sitting behind you, right next to you? Who's at at home that is worried? Who is somebody that you could be part of God's provision? You could be part of God answering this prayer of giving daily bread, provision, help, encouragement, prayer, any of that. Just... If you you feel the Lord bring somebody to mind, share the blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. And if that's you today, I'd encourage you to do that. These are three categories, three ways to respond to Jesus' message, if not worrying. And in a moment, we'll have a time of response as we sing our final song. But if you have any of those decisions or other decisions, you have questions about who Jesus is, or you want to talk about church membership or anything like that, please come to the front. I'll be up here. Pastor Stephen will be here. Talk to somebody. Put this into practice. Come to Jesus. Trust Him. And together... Let's take him at his word. Let's try this together. Do not worry, Jesus says. It's a good word for us today. Let me pray for us. Father God, without you, this is a crushing burden. Just mentioning worry 
brings along with it all the things we could be worrying about. Lord, we're dependent on your power. We ask for your help. Lord, would you glorify yourself in our lives? These are opportunities for us to trust you. Would we take them? Would we move in response? Spirit, work in our hearts. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We want to trust you more. Help us to do that today. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in your son's name. Amen. As we sing together and in light of what Brother Joss has shared with us today, can we take...